Hello and welcome to Converge, a podcast by Common Ground Northeast. I'm Flora Skidmore. And I'm Austin Yoder. Today our guest is Reverend David W. Green Sr. He's pastored Purpose of Life Ministries, formerly Second Baptist Church, the oldest Black Baptist church in Indiana, for more than 25 years. He is a, buckle up for all these, but a humanitarian, a civic leader, an educator, a youth advocate, and my, my favorite title description from his bio uh, a drum major for social justice. We're incredibly grateful for his generosity of time and wisdom and willingness to drum with us today, as it were. So Pastor Green, welcome. Good evening. I'm happy to be with you on this evening for this important conversation. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you again. So let's get started with, I, I, we have recently learned that you're not originally from this area. Can you tell us a little bit more about what brought you to Indianapolis? Yeah, I'm originally from South Central Kentucky, a small town by the name of Cave City, Kentucky. Then I, once I graduated, I went to the University of Kentucky in Lexington, majored in uh, computer science and mathematics. And upon my completion of my degree, ended up working for IBM in Indianapolis. That's how I got to Indianapolis. Uh, was getting a job. First time I'd been this far north. And then, so working at IBM, what was the transition like in your journey into ministry? Um, I really accepted my call into ministry. I fought that in, in high school and definitely in college. And I told myself I didn't want to do ministry. I really wanted to do um, this IT work and have uh, greater resources, but God kept tugging me back into ministry, and um, so that's just, obviously this is where I ended up at in ministry, doing God's work, um, and happy that I succumbed to the call. Yeah, we're very grateful that you did as well. We need drum masters for social justice, left and right, and we're grateful that you're taking. Uh, I'll lead on that. Speaking about your call to ministry, the church that you are a member of right now has a particular importance in the city of Indianapolis. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the church that you participate at right now and its connection to the On the Ground Railroad? Yes. Um, Purpose of Life Ministries is a DBA of doing business as named for Second Baptist Church. Second Baptist Church is the oldest African-American Baptist church in the state of Indiana. For much of its history, it was located at the corner of Michigan and West Street, downtown Indianapolis. As a part of that, it was part of the Underground Railroad at that particular time uh, in history as uh, Negroes were migrating to the north and farther north of Indianapolis, many of them stopped by and was a part this was a safe place in the church for them to be so they could move on to the next location. So it has a rich history. Yeah, that's incredible. And what does it mean to kind of be a part of that legacy? It seems you um, and your congregation are pretty incredible torchbearers for that history. And uh, how do you carry that torch into now where unfortunately a lot of these same things that your church has undoubtedly dealt with for going on almost hundreds, plural, years now. Um, what does that look like for you today? I think it definitely fuels why we're heavily vested in social justice causes because of its history. And so we don't 
run from that, we, but rather we embrace it. And so we know we're committed to the disenfranchised, the marginalized of the, of the community and see our role in making a difference, not just being quote unquote another church, but a church committed uh, to making a difference in the community. Lovely. Uh, now, speaking about that as well, um, when we asked you about what, what are you most passionate about, you, you answer addressing system, systemic racism in the community. Now, that's a lofty goal for any one individual, any one organization, any one form of government. What role does the church play in addressing those deep roots of systemic racism? I think the church is the place where it needs to start and be the foundation for addressing. Uh, I don't think the church should run from addressing uh, this topic, but I believe it sets the, the direction and the help for corporations from corporate America and how to deal uh, with racism. But if the church is silent, I think it's led to corporations and others being silent when I think the church needs to be at the forefront of looking at these things from a loving God perspective and how do we address them and, and taking steps forward so that the rest of the world uh, can follow. Because I truly believe if the church doesn't step up and if the church doesn't lead in this area, then the devil's going to lead in this area. Mm. And then we're going to have more confusion, more chaos, more disagreements, more dysfunctionality. And the real answer is the church needs to take the lead in addressing a topic that is complex, but needs our focus and attention. So how does that look like in practicality? Like what are some practical steps that churches that, who are interested in addressing the, the, those issues and, and being vocal about them? What are some practical ways that they can do that? I think it starts with communication and building of relationships. I don't think we can do it. One, for sure, no one entity can do it by themselves, but it takes a collaborative effort, which means we have to begin to have communications that may make some people uncomfortable, but we need to have those um, communications, that dialogue, build a relationship, and probably most important, be intentional about saying we're going to address this and not running from it. Absolutely. And being a faith leader in Indianapolis for as long as you have been, how has that relationship building and conversation um, having been going in our city? And have you seen uh, progress there? I've definitely not seen the progress that I would like to see. I think yeah. that um, when you bring up the subject of race, it creates such a tension that a lot of people don't want to have the conversation, uncomfortable mm -hmm. having the conversation. And so we'd much rather talk about other things, whether that's sports, uh, other things that would quote unquote entertain us in Indianapolis and not uh, focus on, these are some real discussions that we need to have for the betterment of the community as a whole. So we've got a long ways to go. But these type of conversations that we're having tonight, that's a sign of progress because 20 years ago, I don't believe this is happening or even 10 years ago. Yeah, I can definitely yeah. agree with that. Uh, 
Now, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about why you're so passionate about social justice? Um, I understand that you've had some encounter with racism um, in, your, in your past. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, I mean, in the um, town I grew up in, Cave City, Kentucky, they used to have Ku Klux Klan rally meetings. I've literally been, um, as a young, young person, I was under 10, riding with my mom and, you know, being stopped at a red light by Klansman, you know, has his face covered, et cetera. And so I'm trying to understand as a young person, you know, what's the issue? Why the hatred? Because I'm growing up going to church and church is teaching me about love and we ought to love one another and love everybody. But there's a hatred that exists. And so I, you know, I'm struggling with that as I move into my teenage years and in high school, I'm playing basketball. We're, you know, as a basketball player, you know, we're going to places where it's all white and people are in the stands saying the N-word. And so we're, I'm encountering all this as a young person. And, at, and on the other side, I'm a Christian. We're supposed to love. How do you address this? I think that's, you know, really, and as I, you know, transition, you get older, you're involved in ministry. We need to address this because there's a lot of woundedness out there, a lot of walls, a lot of barriers on both sides that have been built. And unless we're intentional, unless we're focused, unless we're committed, we will not bring those barriers down. They're not just going to wake up one day magically and be gone. And, and so there's a lot that's gone on. Uh, on both sides and there's animosity on both sides but yet God is he does command us to love one another that's where we need to be and when we get to heaven there's not a you know black heaven and a white heaven or red heaven we're all going to be brothers and sisters there we need to understand that yeah you know it's tough to imagine some of those situations you've been in and the I can say with almost certainty that people in the stands at those basketball games people in the hoods at those meetings a lot of them also claim the name of Christ um mm. and that's just such a such kind of a horrifying idea to me that we've that many of us uh in you know I'm the 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 white guy in the conversation here many of people in my, my community have really missed the mark so wide from what Jesus called us to and what Jesus's ministry was all about. You know, a, a little look under the uh, kind of the, the hood of our podcast, and we do send you some questions beforehand. And one of the things was, do you have any questions you wanted to ask white Christians? And your response was, for those who ignore social justice causes, why? Um you know, I, I definitely can think in my own life and in, in people I know and in, in, in my community what their answers might be. I'm interested if you have asked that question or what answers you've kind of come to in your own mind of why that why that might be, because I think that's an important question to address is the why of, of the ignorance and in most cases, I would say willful ignorance. Well, uh, I was talking to a white senior pastor on this week 
of a predominantly uh, mega church here in Marion County. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally asked him about George Floyd and that situation. We were just meeting as the first time in hopes of building a relationship. And I asked him about George Floyd intentionally to say, how did you handle that? And uh, he began to share how his congregation uh, really didn't want to address it. And their solution was to reach out to a black pastor to come in and preach to them um, Mm. that was a part of their denomination. And that black pastor refused to come. Uh, he said he didn't want to do that and I shared with the pastor and he was right the black pastor was right for doing that because it has to be about a relationship and having these discussions it's not about checking the box George Floyd happened we had a black pastor come in and speak at a service now we can move on that's not how we make progress progress would have been we're going to have some discussions we're going to have some conversation. We're going to have some communication. Because the pastor shared that, hey, many of his congregation members didn't see that even white privilege existed. Oh, wow. <laughs> even though they were, you know, he has a lot of pretty wealthy members. He said mm-hmm. they don't see themselves as white privilege, that that, quote unquote, really exists. And so mm-hmm. there was a need there. Um to really seize the moment. I, I take a George Floyd situation and say to the body of Christ and the church, if we don't seize that moment for conversations to lead that lead to significant change, we've missed the whole moment. We, we will have missed opportunity to be different, to show something different to the world, to address a, a very sensitive subject with wisdom, to be spirit led in doing so. But if we just sweep it under the rug, hope it goes away, never bring it up, we will have missed an opportunity. So I think it's important that we seize those moments. I believe those are God moments for everybody to learn and come together. And the church should be at at the forefront of that, not sitting back hoping somebody else is leading it. Mm. That's really interesting uh, what you were just sharing now. Um, see, I'm, I'm Hispanic, so I'm like sitting on the sidelines, right? Watching this whole conversation between my white brothers and sisters in Christ and my black brothers and sisters in Christ unfold. And uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a very difficult position to be in, right? Because I want to facilitate the conversation, but um, there's a lot to be said about authenticity, right? Like you can tell when somebody's coming to address the issue with an authentic heart, with a, a repenting, lamenting heart, um, and and trying to reach out to to do good, to acknowledge, to to be part of the change. And you can also tell when somebody is just trying to, like you said, like check the box, right? Like make sure that we address it so that. But I don't want to make any of my church members uncomfortable. I don't want to make any of my uh, peers uncomfortable. I don't want to make any of my family members uncomfortable. So let's just shove it under the rug. How do you think, what what steps could we take as um, a predominantly white church um, to breach that gap, to become a little bit more authentic in our approach 
um, on on our conversation uh, surrounding racism in general? I think it begins with you know the question I raised. A lot of times uh, the pulpit will run from the social justice piece of the text or not address issues that are staring you in the face. Mm. In, in a predominantly black context, they're expecting it. If, if, they, yeah. if there is a, um, like the Black Lives Matter march and things went on downtown, they come to church expecting that the pastor is going to speak to this in one way or another. In many of um, Caucasian environments, they'll act like that didn't happen. And the people aren't expecting the pastor to say anything about it. The pastor, he, he or she may be like, I'm not even going to mention it. I'm just going to keep it on a different level. And so for me, you're missing opportunities to really impact our community, our neighborhoods, because people need, well, even if it's going to be challenging, they need to be challenged when they're staring this in the, in the face. Because Monday, or they saw it on the news, it was a leading story on every news station. How do you ignore it? When in my mind, it's our calling and our duty to speak to it and, 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 and address it in a way that is genuine, that's coming from your heart, but to act like it didn't happen, we do our communities a great injustice. And we fail to, whether it's the need for healing, whatever needs to happen, we're missing those moments when we need to be impacting the world and the body of Christ in a positive way and not leave it for the vices of the devil to say, hey, this group is crazy or that group is crazy. And they never even really sat down and thought about from maybe a different perspective, what they're seeing and why people are doing what they're doing. Mm. It's just different. And, and you can't, in my opinion, we don't need to run from that. We need to embrace it. That's super interesting what you said about, you know, different populations expecting uh, situations to be addressed versus not. And, and I recognize that I didn't understand that experience that you described until the Adam Toledo shooting, uh, where like a child got shut down by police and he was a Hispanic member of, of the community in Chicago. And uh, that affected me so deeply. And I, I remember now telling my, the pastor at, at Common Ground uh, of our church, like, listen, if you're not going to talk about it, if you're not going to, this should be the only thing we're talking about on Sunday. And if that's not the case, I don't even want to come. I'm grieving. And I feel like probably um, not having that perspective on the white side of things like that pain and suffering of losing consistently at members of the community and, and being in that position that's not privileged it's probably what's missing because even myself that I call myself, you know, not, I don't call myself walk anymore. I've been told otherwise, but like, I'm trying, right. I'm trying really hard to reconcile uh, my religion with, with the realities of the world. And, 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 you know, and even myself that are trying to consistently be an educated, I didn't understand that pain until it hurt my community. And yeah. you wanted to hear something that would help you address that. And, and, and I think that's that one, from a human perspective, it's normal. Now that it's normal, 
the church should be the place that provides the hope and the healing. Mm. So we yeah. owe it to the body of Christ to help do and speak to those issues as opposed to, well, we ain't gonna touch it because it's gonna make somebody or a few people uncomfortable mm. because we don't quote unquote do this here. So we're gonna keep it, you know, not, you know, we're gonna keep it where it's neutral and we won't really bring it up and we won't really address it. But if somebody wants to have a meeting, you know, one-on-one -on -one meeting, we're willing to do that, but we're not willing to have, hey, let's have a congregational conversation. And, and that's what makes, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I apologize. No. I was no. going to say, well, that's what just makes it so um, sort of darkly laughable when you hear people not thinking that white privilege exists, because what we're describing is the very definition of it. Like just the ability to make the choice to not engage with the conversation just the ability to make the choice to be comfortable. Other communities don't get to choose that. There's not an opt out in this. And mm. so just the idea of, just that idea of like, I don't wanna talk about this also, and, and so I don't have to think about it. Also white privilege isn't, there's just such a dissonance there. Um, and, and, and I wonder, these having conversations like this reminds me how you know, for the last, uh, you know, since college has really been when I've uh, engaged in these conversations and, and in these topics. And I even find myself sometimes using words like, man, like this is exhausting or it's a lot of work to have these conversations. But then like, this reminds me of, oh, there's no excuse for me to be worn out or exhausted in like this. When someone like you, Pastor Green, you have been experiencing this and beating this drum for decades and decades and decades. How, how do you maintain hope and maintain energy and maintain momentum um, when you're experiencing this, obviously, on a much more visceral level than I ever could? I mean, I think that really comes from, you know, God and the passion he's put in me to make a difference. I understand yeah. it's a complex issue. I understand that in my lifetime, I may not even see it, but I do owe it to those that are coming behind me to at least been fighting this fight, presenting and having conversations to help move the ball along. And somebody will pick up the torch and take it further, but you got to have it. You got to have, you have to start to have the conversations, build the relationships, because it's not going to change as long as everybody stays in their own silos. And that's not good for the church as a whole, the body price. And, and I know God, that's not what God wants for us. We have to, you know, uh, in the end, we say, wait a minute, something here's got to change. I mean, even for our communities, I mean, it, it's not going to be good if everybody's in their silos. Even though you may yeah. like your silo, it's still not the best place overall. Of course, of course, that's where it's that's where it's comfortable and to engage in this conversation uh, is to choose discomfort, which is very um, anti-white in a lot of ways. I would say anti-white culture, anti-white community. That's just not how. Well, I, at least I myself was raised. It's it's about avoiding discomfort and avoiding pain and hurt. 
Um, but this is obviously one conversation that we believe that and, and know that if we're going to follow Christ, it's not a conversation we can opt out of. And I so appreciate this conversation, Pastor Green, and, and all of the other conversations we've been able to have through this podcast. Obviously, at some point, it, it has to go beyond the, beyond the conversation. And I, I, um, I would love to hear, I, I saw a big list of all the different organizations you're, you're involved in. What, what are some of those steps beyond the conversation or maybe organizations or communities that you're involved in where, you know, we, we can kind of either put our money where our mouth is or put our actions where our mouths are and, and graduate beyond just having these conversations? Well, let me first say that um, some of those organizations I'm a part of, you'll see that are majority white. Um, mm. And I've been intentional in about being a part of those organizations in order to help bridge the gap between, yeah. you know, white culture and African-American culture, Hispanic culture, because one, there needs to be representation um, and begin to give voice to, hey, here's some things you need to consider. Here's a way you build a relationship. Because too many people, even people who have good intentions who are white, they want to do a transaction, but they don't want to build mm -hmm. a relationship. Yeah. The big difference between, oh, I'm willing to do a transaction. I'm willing to send you some food. I'm willing to send you this or send this to these people in their minds. But if we're going to be where God wants us to be, it's about building relationship. And it takes two people to have a relationship. So I can't be in a silo like, okay, you know, I, I just don't want to, I just only want to work with black people. I don't work with no white people. I don't work with Hispanics. That's not going to be relationship building. Relationship building is, and because it takes both sides, I'm willing to do my part. Anybody else willing to do their part? Then we can make organizations stronger and ultimately community stronger because we have built relationships. So as you, you know, look at my bio, you'll say, well, this group over here doesn't fit with like, quote unquote, the concerned clergy, which started out as a uh, civil rights movement and has clearly a lot more uh, minorities, African-Americans that are part of it versus, you know, a Red Cross board, a uh, SACOA board, et cetera, which will have a whole lot more white people to it. And I have been purposefully intentional, I believe God, open doors for me to be a part of them. But my role is to help bridge the gap. That's what I'm there for. I mean, in, in my mind, I'm there to help cultivate relationships, communication, dialogue, build bridges uh, between organizations and communities. And, mm -hmm. and do, do it through a healthy relationship way, not that they did a, a quote unquote, a transaction. Mm. So what I'm hearing a little bit of is like one really effective way for us to be allies uh, is to make those spaces where like more diverse people can come and represent, right? Because in many of the organizations that you name, as you said, they're predominantly white. White people have been occupying those spaces. Therefore, it's white people who need to make way for others to come represent. Exactly. If we're going, if there any of them are going to 
quote unquote impact the Hispanic community. Well, they need more Hispanic people as a part of it so that they can hear culturally what works, what doesn't work, who to connect to within the community. Those things are important. Those bridges have to be built. And uh, again, I think the church should be a key component in helping build those bridges, build those relationships. And we can do that if we choose to. We just have to be intentional. Yeah, that's kind of like the hard part to get from a place of like, I, I want to acknowledge this happened to a place of I want to do something about it and be objective about one's capabilities. I'm curious about something. Uh, I feel like culturally, um, our environment, especially through social media, has been changing the conversation, right? And amplifying voices that uh, in a way that's much rapid and, and, and louder than it had been in the past. Like what happened with Black Lives Matter last, last summer was incredible. Like it started in this one place and then it rippled internationally. Paris holding a protest over something that happened. It was incredible. I, I've never seen something like that. In my life, I'm not that old, but I mean, it, it was incredible for me to see. And now recently uh, our Congress just passed law that uh, made Juneteenth a federal um, holiday, right? How do you think, what role do, do you think it plays like all this cultural movement and, and shift? Uh, do you think this kind of movements like making a federal holiday or amplifying voices in social media, do you think they can uh, positively affect our journey as church members into reconciliation? It can if we'll have the conversation, because I'm sure somebody else is wondering, um, what's this June 10th thing? And what's that about? And why we got to do that? Why is that important? Why do they care? And if you don't have some conversations around it, you know, we, we can either build a bridge or continue to destroy something. And so it, the key is what does the church do with that? I mean, if the church act while it's in law, acts like nothing happened, it's no big deal, and never mentions it, then I don't, I don't see any, it won't be quote unquote a benefit from it per se. But if their conversations being held, what it really represents, even on the black side, what it really represents, what it really means, because it needs to be educational to younger people, et cetera, then yes. And I think the church should be uh, quote unquote, spearheading some of those conversations, if you will, versus again, it goes back to something I said earlier, is this something that people will just ignore, you know, and just let it slide by, next year, let it slide by, or will they say, oh, this was something that happened, and here's why this happened, this is what this really represents, and in the course of, uh, and I just think every pastor in, in the course of a year somewhere, he should be able, he or she should be able to drop that in. It, it shouldn't be something, well, I'm just going to ignore June 10th and, and Juneteenth and keep it moving. You know, because if, if you have minority members, they want to at least know you're aware of it. You need to put it in here somewhere. If you just ignore it, then it's like, okay, that's those people's holiday and we'll keep moving. And that's not that's not what we should do, in my opinion, as as the church. Of course. 
you know, we're talking a lot about bridge building and there's an attitude I've seen among many members of the white community that is like, I'm, I'm willing to walk across that bridge, but I'm not going to be the bridge builder. And I think it's incredibly gracious of you to be someone who reaches out and builds those bridges. Um, when I would say the, the impetus, the responsibility should probably be more on white people to be building those bridges as we've, we've been the ones who have destroyed them to kind of follow that, that metaphor. And I don't wanna make the assumption that you necessarily have seen good examples, but do ha, are there examples that you've seen of people in the white community who have done a good job building bridges or have done a good job initiating conversations with you in a way that was productive and genuine and not just performative or self-serving? Yeah, I mean, there, there have been, uh, I mean, that has clearly happened. Some of the, like, I got to the Red Cross board, it was through Katrina. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were a couple of people, both white, who were intentional about reaching out. Our, our church had been involved in helping uh, people from Katrina who would come to Indianapolis. We were not part of the Red Cross, et cetera, uh, at, at that time. But the people had, uh, they reached out and said, hey, can we take you to breakfast, Pastor, and have a conversation? It began to build a relationship. And from that relationship, I saw, okay, there's a great partnership in terms of the Red Cross is great about training people for disasters, et cetera. That's what they do well. The church is great about volunteers. If we can learn how to marry those two, the people mm -hmm. who volunteer with some quality training, that's what's gonna be best for the community. And so that's kind of how we got started. Then I worked with the Red Cross to say, well, why don't you be intentional about reaching out to churches so in the midst of a disaster, that church could open up in the community and uh, serve as, as a place where people can go as a shelter, if you will, in the midst of a disaster. And But you got to be intentional now of training, wanting churches to be a part of this, reaching out to churches. And so then that broadened their perspective, if you will, instead of just having, quote unquote, a pr primarily white location, oh, well, if we're going to be in the middle of um, an urban area, we need some urban churches that are part of that. Okay, let's do that. Who wants to partner? Those things begin uh, to happen at one in place. So I've seen it. I can't say, okay, I've seen it in, quote, unquote, a church arena exclusively. Mm. Uh, I think you know, I've had conversations, uh, but I wouldn't put it, you know, where there's a lot of definite actions. Again, mm -hmm. there's some transactions that take place, but what we really need is relationship, and those are different things. So, first of all, ouch, that that must hurt a little bit. Um, I know it hurts me to hear that we're not doing enough. What what does enough look like, like in building an authentic relationship with our black brothers and sisters? Um, going beyond the acknowledging something like George Floyd happening uh, on a Sunday uh, morning. What is that building that relationship? And, and I mean, I imagine it's not something that can happen overnight. 
Yeah. Right. So what does that process look like? I think it's just like how people view relationships. You have to be intentional. You have to communicate. You have to be willing to dialogue and conversate. If you're not made, if this is just a quote unquote, what we're doing here tonight, if this is just a one-time conversation and we never talk to each other, we don't have a relationship. We had a transaction in terms of creating a podcast. A relationship says we're going to be intentional. It says that somebody's going to reach out to somebody. We're going to dialogue again. It might be two months from now, three months from now, but we begin to work and find common ground, find areas we can work together to help build the body of Christ. And so we leave tonight at the end saying, well, is it just a transaction, a podcast transaction, or do we really want a relationship of some sort where we continue to communicate, talk with each other, find common ground, and do things that will help build the kingdom of God. That's a relationship. And then, and keep in mind, that takes work, right? That takes work. Everybody's busy. It takes work. Who's willing uh, to do that? Who's willing to engage in that? And we need those conversations across the board within the body of Christ, because even for, because I, I don't want people to make assumptions, there are, you know, Black people and Hispanic people who can't get along, and it's not based on something actually, somebody did something to somebody else, it's all about perception and dialogue and what people have said about, or supposedly said, and there needs to be bridge building, because we need to be working together, not be separate, etc. And it, so it needs to go on in a number of places across the spectrum within the body of Christ. Do you think one of those environments in which that relationship building needs to happen is within the temple, say during a worship service? But that's definitely, a, I mean, internally, you have to start there. I think you have to start there. Uh, I, mean, I believe there's some pastors who desire to do it, but don't have the sports of their congregation, you know, because if you could have a couple of influential congregation members who don't want it and can kill it. Uh, so I think it starts internally. Is this something that's a core fabric of our congregation that we're going to do? Not that you have 100%, but you have a large percentage that says, oh yeah, we're committed to this. We're going to do this. And so that people know when you come to this church, this is kind of where they are. You know, you don't come to Purpose of Life thinking, well, you're never going to hear anything about social justice. Mm -hmm. it, it, you don't do that because he's about social justice. It's going to be, it's not going to come up literally every Sunday, but it's going to come up. If George Floyd incident happened, you can rest assured Pastor Green had something to say about it. He's not going to be acting like it didn't happen. And so, you, you know, and so people... If, as we create more churches and have more churches who embrace it, then the people know, okay, this is the core fabric of who they are. We're going to have those conversations because we need to have them in a safe space. Some of it starts with having safe con conversations internally before we can effectively move externally and have buy-in and not have a bunch of people like, I don't know why he or she is over there doing that. We need, it starts inside. Are we in agreement that this is important? Are we in agreement this is something that we need to be 
focused on. Because again, it takes intentionality. We have to be intentional. Just internalizing all that right now. I can, because uh, I can, I can see in myself where, yeah, like conversations like this, they, you know, I feel good about myself afterward, to be completely honest. And, and it does feel like whether I feel like progress was made or I just feel like I've appeased my own guilt or something. Um, but I think that's such a good call out of, great, you had a conversation. What's the next one look like? I think that emphasis on relationship over transaction is so key. And I really appreciate you saying it uh, in that way. I think we, we've discussed that on the podcast before, but um, I'm not sure exactly in those words. And that's super helpful for me to hear. Because um, even now I can just run through in my head and, and see where I've been transactional about these things. And I, I can see how, I mean, that is such a tenet of, of white culture is transaction and capital and all that. And um, it, it just applies to this and, and I hadn't thought about so, about it that way. So I, I really appreciate you um, kind of explaining it or laying it out in those terms. And, and I would just add that, especially for many African-Americans, they quickly seize on whether this is a transaction or is this something mm -hmm. going to be relationship? And so they yeah. they respond based on that. If they sense this is just a transaction, because there's a lot of, I'm sure there are a lot of people who've done a lot of good deeds and they don't understand why it wasn't received in the same way. And a lot of times the reason it wasn't received the same way is because people saw it as a transaction when what they really was looking for was a relationship. And so, yeah, that was a good deed, but they may be like, eh, you ain't doing nothing. And it's because they're not looking for another transaction. They're looking for where's that loving relationship that God talks about that's supposed to be there. Not that you just did a one-hit wonder. And I've seen people have some of the greatest ideas, but they were all transaction-based. And I'm like, that's not it's not going to be received the way you think it's going to be going to be received when you're sitting around in the conference room table if you know the culture because the culture is not looking for the transaction the culture says the real people that care about me have a relationship yeah i think that's such a great reminder mm -hmm. that we do need to be examining our our own motivations and how that, that matters in this conversation. And I think so many times we just want to do something and be thanked for it or be applauded for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it is, I mean, this is such kind of a Christian-y thing to say, but like, it's about our hearts. And if our hearts aren't in the right place, then what we think can be the right thing can actually hurt um, because mm -hmm. of how it is perceived or how people can just see right through your motivation for doing something. So that is such a, that's such a good reminder for us. Mm -hmm. Pastor Green, I call myself a member of a predominantly white church that is trying to be genuine and authentic about approaching this conversation. Um, and I, my hope is that there's many of us that out there 
uh, Christians, you know, white or otherwise that are trying to build those bridges and be authentic about it as well. What words of encouragement could you offer to all of us who are trying our best and sometimes failing? I think most of the time failing, but but striving to to understand how to build these bridges. I think of uh, and, and often use this as a reminder. Paul said, don't be weary well doing for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. And I think that's it because this is, uh, you know, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you see a lot more failures on your way to this, you know, success that you, that you experience. And you got to be willing to do that and really sense, okay, I know I'm doing the right thing. This is going to meet with some opposition because we're talking about ultimately change and mm -hmm. change is difficult for most people. So, you know, and, and, and it's on both sides. I mean, because one group of people is saying, why are you even trying? And another group over here is wishing you wouldn't try. So you're working with both of those mm -hmm. groups. And so mm -hmm. you have to be like, okay, this is the right thing. You're, there's much prayer about it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be remind yourself and encourage yourself. Okay, I can't get very well doing in due season. Mm -hmm. This thing's gonna this is gonna turn around. Let me keep pushing and doing the right things. Having those conversations, keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Mm. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement and, and also for being here with us and engaging with us in this very genuine conversation. We appreciate you. Well, thank you for the invitation. I really uh have enjoyed it. I, I hope that uh, we'll all keep working together, keep plugging along, because this is a important topic that needs to be addressed, and the body of Christ needs to be leading the way. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Green. I, I am very much looking forward to our next conversation. All right. Just let me know. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Well, thank you so much again for listening to another episode of Converge. I just wanted to maybe take us back real quick to the verse that uh, Pastor Green referenced there at the end. It is Galatians 6, 9, which is, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And the following verse, verse 10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers incredibly poignant and relevant uh, as we think about what Pastor Green shared with us today. Incredibly grateful for this conversation. Incredibly grateful to you for listening. Um, and as always, you can check us out on your favorite podcast streaming platform and you can subscribe to make sure you don't miss any episodes of Converge. This is a production of Common Ground Northeast and you can always reach out to us at justice at cgnortheast.org. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Converge, a production by Common Ground Northeast. If you like what you hear, or if you're willing to get uncomfortable in this conversation with us, please click on that follow or subscribe button. And if you want to share your comments or feedback with us, feel free to email us anytime at justice at cgnortheast.com. Until next time.